Chapter 1 Time robs us of chances for reconciliation. Time makes us liars. I wanted to save my daughter, and even now I don't know what made me think I could keep her from going through what I had gone through, widowed and pregnant, all at the same time. The scars from her father's death had never fully healed, but if not for Tony's illness, Sandy would have sailed into her future, and I would have gone on trying to save the world, one kindergartner at a time. That June, when I closed up my classroom and headed off to Washington, D.C., I teetered on the brink of an exciting transition. For the past few years, aging parents had kept me in Chicago. Not that I begrudged them. This was the natural progression of a woman's life, or so it seemed, even though women of my generation thought we had liberated ourselves from traditional roles. You can't really free yourself from love, though nor from the surprise that middle age doesn't mean you have more time for yourself. Children leave the nest about the time parents grow frail. One minute you're changing baby's diapers, and the next you're tugging up to pens. My mother had died. I missed her terribly, but her death had freed me. Finally, with an unencumbered heart, I could see my daughter's new house and help when the second grandchild arrived. The birth would give me a chance to make amends for the baby showers and birthdays I had missed. Standing on the sidewalk in Glover Park, a neighborhood in the capital's northwest quadrant, I looked from my daytimer to the rusted numbers above a set of tilted concrete steps. In the upstairs windows, the blinds had yellowed. Brown paint like shaved chocolate curled back from the porch beams. Next to the door, plastic recycling bins overflowed with newsprint. The grass looked brittle, and the azaleas dead. Hoping I'd written down the wrong address and ignoring the clues that something disastrous might have happened, I prepared a smile I might have brought with a casserole or condolence flowers. An envelope poked from the mail slot. Surreptitiously, I slid it out. A letter for Tony Damasio. Yep, I had the right address. Tony, my son-in-law, was a good-looking punster with scads of friends, lacrosse friends, college and law school buddies, environmental activists, reporters, and he had pursued Sandy as if she were the hottest babe on the planet, which to him she was. Her savings had paid for their first house. Sighing at the mountain of work that awaited them, I cupped my hand against the glare and pressed my nose to the door's glass panel. Sandy had no idea what it really took to fix up a place, even though she had seen me do it a dozen times, and I feared she'd taken on too much. Before I could even catch a glimpse of the interior, the clump of footsteps made me back away. Sandy's face appeared, a nutmeg of summer freckles, a smile, the door flew open. Mom! Like her father, Sandy had deep-set eyes. In bright light, they looked blue, but in the shadows of the porch, her eyes reminded me of clouds before a storm. In the years since her teenage rebellion had come at me like projectile vomit, I'd learned to watch for the early warning signs of her bad moons. I saw none now. 
Since Christmas, her belly had inflated to the size of my exercise ball. She was nine months pregnant, and the baby had dropped. A flowered jumper hung from her bare, hunched shoulders. Sandy had never been much of a hugger, but this time she threw her arms around me, a drowning person lunging for the life preserver, which was my neck. Don't choke me, I said, disentangling her arms. Thank God you're here, she said. Reflexively, I tucked in her bra strap. I can't believe the pregnancy's almost done. Sandy looked sideways at my hand and then brushed it aside to massage her shoulder. I hate my bony arms. Even eating for two, I can't seem to put on weight. You look fabulous, honey. I must look better than I feel, Sandy said. A taut grin flipped up like a mask.